Hello, and welcome to The Feedcast, a monthly podcast created and sponsored by Relay Network. As the feed technology pioneers, Relay Network feeds harness the engagement power of social and news feeds for businesses and the people they serve. I'm your host, Trisha Gabberty, and in The Feedcast, we will hear from cross-industry experts who will share their approach to driving meaningful and powerful customer engagement. In under 30 minutes, you'll gain useful insights and strategies from informative discussions with curated subject matter experts. In this episode of The Feedcast, our guest speaker and I covered so much ground, we decided to make it a two-part episode. So we invite you to listen to this discussion and be sure to come back to listen to part two. Welcome to this episode of The Feedcast. I'm your host, Trisha Gabberty, and I am thrilled to be joined by today's guest. Mr. Wook Chung is the Chief Product Officer at Barrow Bank, where he applies his years of knowledge and experience of building organizations and teams and leads with vision. Prior to Barrow, Wook was VP of Product, Design, and Engineering at SoFi. Wook held leadership positions at both Facebook and Twitter, along with stops at Samsung, Google, and Microsoft, among others. He did his undergrad at Georgia Tech, Go Jackets, and received his MS in Electrical Engineering from Stanford University. He has filed over 30 patents, has won numerous awards, and has been published in several publications. Wook, you're quite the slacker. Um, Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Tricia. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Oh, thanks. Um, you know, we had such a fascinating conversation the last time we spoke that it left me with like more questions to ask than I think we have time for. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump in. Sounds good. So when we spoke previously, you were very passionate about feed technology. What is it about feeds that gets you so excited? I think that the feed is a perfect blend of making things easier for somebody as well as personalizing it. And because the feed takes advantage of the mobile real estate, uh, essentially you are able to dynamically customize that session throughout that experience. Uh, A great example of this, as you know, we all use TikTok or Instagram Reels. You do not know what video is coming up next. And if you kind of think about Mm it, uh, a TikTok Reel or Instagram Reel is a feed itself. And they're dynamically choosing the videos depending on how you engage with the current video and based on your past interest. But that principle uh, of truly serving you the right thing at the right time can be expanded to anything and everything, uh, including social feeds like Instagram, Twitter feeds like news, or even financial feeds that might be hitting you up with various financial knowledge or actions to do and so on and so forth. So the next question I had, and and I don't know if I got this right, because when we were chatting last time, I was quickly taking notes. And you talked about ways to measure the value of each function. So uh, at the end of the day, the feed organization is essentially based on some type of a objective function optimization. And depending on that, you can assign a rank score. And typically feeds are ranked by their hierarchy or order of their rank score in decreasing order, obviously, because you want to, the, the, the drop-off rate increases as you go down the feed. Now, the objective function can literally be anything. So let's start with something very basic. In TikTok's feed, will you watch the video is the basic objective function. And so essentially they predict whether you're going to like this video. The fact that you watch the video throughout means that you like it. And the stronger sign is that you double tap and you give a heart or like or whatnot. And that's that acts as a positive feedback loop. But the objective functions can be very complex as well. So for example, now let's take it to, for example, Facebook. 
Facebook's objective function is to connect you to your friends and family and the people and the interests that's around you. And when, you know, a, a few years ago, you know, Mark Zuckerberg had really set the uh, objective function for the Facebook feed as meaningful social interactions, because that is ex- essentially what Facebook as a product stands for. So what is a meaningful social interaction? It could be liking your friend's content or commenting on your sister's newborn baby picture and so on and so forth. So these are the interactions that are not possible had Facebook not been there as a product. So in order to maximize those, you can say, okay, let me assign and define what meaningful social interactions might be as a equation. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. you can organize content to maximize that objective function. This could be revenue. This could be the number of likes. This could be engagement. That's the beauty of feeds because you can pick whichever objective function you want and you can optimize the feed for that. That's really interesting. And it just makes me wonder, is there a metric that matters more in your mind? Yeah, it really depends on what the company means to humanity or what the feed means to humanity. You can organize the Facebook feed today and set the objective function to increase hate in the world if you wanted to. That means you're promoting content that's bipolar, you know, tearing people apart and so on and so forth. And you can continuously serve that message. And trust me, you'll create some type of a coup in some country if you did that. And in a similar way, Facebook could optimize their feed to maximize ad revenue, for example. That means that they'd be serving you, you know, you know, interesting or relevant ads. And they might even say, you know what, you know, this organic content should actually be an ad and they, they'll be swapping things out and on. And because if you serve a completely irrelevant feed, then you, the chances of you coming back to the feed is low. Therefore, you, uh, you erode future lifetime value of the customer from an ad revenue perspective. Mm-hmm. Another quick example, let's maximize video views. Let's hypothetically say that Facebook wanted to compete with YouTube. You would want to maximize the video viewing time. So therefore, you would hit the user with the most retentive videos ever. Now, one thing that every single feed an objective function competes over is time. Because when you play, let's say, a two-minute video and you succeed in retaining the user for two minutes, you have to consider what else could this person could have been doing in that two minutes. Mm-hmm. They could have liked 15 posts. They could have clicked on two ads. They could have done a whole variety of things. So it's always a trade-off. The limitation here is human attention and time. And the fee can completely maximize whichever objective function that you're really chasing after. But again, choosing the objective function is one of the most important things that a company can do because that is what they stand for, right? For example, uh, uh, just another quick example, Facebook would never uh, uh, set their objective function to, let's say, solve world hunger as their objective function. Mm -hmm. They could because then they would start to promote world hunger, sort of like, you know, famine and all those sort of posts mm-hmm. up top, but that's not the primary purpose of the platform. So again, the feed can be optimized for pretty much anything. And it is a way to marry content to the right user at the right time to achieve the objective function at hand. So it, to, to tie it back to you, what you're saying, it really comes down to the brand, right? And what the brand's goal is within that feed technology. From a user's perspective, what's the optimal experience when when they tap into a scrolling feed and what should 
marketers think about um, when creating content for that user experience kind of goes back to what you were saying is that, you know, look at your priority, look at what the metric is, the goal is that you're trying to measure, mm-hmm. right? And I liked how you said, think about how else they could be spending that time. Now we've all gotten sucked into some of these feeds and 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 there's goes 15 minutes. I'll never get back again, mm-hmm. you know, watching somebody make chicken or whatever it might be. How should marketers think about creating content in order to optimize that user experience? Did you say marketers or how did you say mm-hmm. content creators? Just to be clear. I think, well, I guess marketers, content creators, we all usually sit around the same department. But if I'm looking for people to engage, because ultimately, right, the goal is that engagement, right? Regardless of what your metric is, you're looking to get those eyeballs and that scrolling going, or at least that that attention. Yeah. So what what should I be thinking about? A human being has different needs to be met as a primal sort of animal, right, that we are. So TikTok, for example, serves the need to be entertained. The need to be entertained is, there's a lot of companies that compete for it. Video games, Netflix, YouTube, you you name it, right? Now, I'm sure TikTok has educational feature or videos. I'm sure there are other types of messaging, you know, uh, communicatory sort of needs that TikTok serves, but largely it's an entertainment platform. Mm-hmm. So in in order to sort of maximize entertainment, that's the reason why TikTok puts up that chicken video that you might be so interested in, in learning how to cook it. And obviously, you don't get 45-minute long cooking shows on TikTok. You have these like collages of like chicken being thrown, diced away, garlic thrown, you know, pepper thrown, and then magically a, a fried chicken appears. So the way that content is being created is completely being optimized for that hit user, right? The six second or nine second or 15 second usage. I guarantee you, you put a Food Network chicken prep video 45 minutes long on TikTok and it will fail. No one's going to stick right. around 45 minutes for that. So, But so what is the optimal length? So, I mean, the optimal length on TikTok these days, I would say it's probably nine to 15 seconds in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But like, again, there are some videos that, you know, you stick around a little bit longer and whatnot. Uh, ultimately though, at the if you're trying to entertain somebody and the platform itself is a six to nine to 15 second short form video, you have mm-hmm. to cater to that. Otherwise, you're going to miss that the essence of the feed. In a similar way, Instagram, I think, did a really good job forcing you to always share pictures on a feed. So like Instagram is not known for text-only posts, right? Like you have to have a snap picture. And so the text in Instagram is metadata that helps you consume the picture versus on Twitter, it was text first and images were optional. And so again, Twitter was more for news and what's happening and maybe text-based updates were okay. Instagram was completely based on the camera. That was their initial like you know differentiator and the way that the angle of approach. And Instagram caters to a different type of need. Both, like for example, if you're LeBron James or you know any any type of celebrity, you might post on both. For example, mm-hmm. however, if are, you have more and more beauty and fashion creators and influencers and celebrities posting on Instagram because of the visual aspect of the platform, right? Versus you have Elon Musk publishing on Twitter or X. Sorry, I apologize X these days because Elon likes to commit or sorry comment 
on a variety of things rather than always have a picture. And the content has to be optimized for that feed to fit its nature and sort of the essence of what that feed is about. You will never get a text-only post on TikTok, again, as an example. Right, right, or Instagram. So it goes back to, as you're saying, to, to the basics of knowing your audience, right? And mm-hmm. I think the premise of X, formerly known as sure. Twitter, um, was just that, right? It was almost kind of shock headlines or news sharing, whereas Instagram and TikTok are, are clearly more entertaining mm-hmm. and much more visual. Um, and I, I just have to comment on that 9 to 14 second uh, window. That seems to probably be the the optimal time because it, it reminds me of that slide that we've all seen of how the goldfish has a longer attention span than the human yeah. now at nine seconds. No, I'm, I'm not sure that's that. But I, I think it's the minimum amount of time it takes to entertain a human being. And obviously, you know... <laughs> Boy, we're almost, easy. <laughs> yeah, a couple seconds long, that wouldn't mean much. But another way to kind of really look at a different type of objective function that we haven't really heard about or talked about in this uh, in, in today's uh, podcast yet is, for example, LinkedIn has a very healthy feed. Uh, mm-hmm. If you ever use LinkedIn to catch up with your professional networks mm-hmm. and, and what's happening in your industry. And the type of feed that LinkedIn promotes is definitely not video. There's some video items there, but like the posts that do really well on LinkedIn are people finding new jobs, or potentially people bringing out, you know, workers' rights or whatnot. And there's a lot of like engagement that happens on these types of posts on LinkedIn. Uh, I, Trisha, I, I do want to call out that that same person who is engaging with a LinkedIn post about mm-hmm. workers' rights is the same person who's laughing at the chicken cooking video on the other mm-hmm. side. So when mm-hmm. you say it's optimized for the audience. It's not just optimized for the audience, but it's for the audience at the right time, at the right context. And mm-hmm. the context in this case is chosen by what app the audience is staring at. So in LinkedIn, it's not about entertainment. I open my LinkedIn app not to be entertained. I want to get an update on my you know, professional network. Whereas that same person right. then opens TikTok. Now the person's saying that I want to be entertained. And again... The targeting and content and you know finding them matching that right content for that right user is a function not just of the objective function of the brand, but also what content is typically served in that network. Moving on, uh, how has your experience and learnings from working at Twitter and Facebook to companies that obviously revolutionize the way that we interact with and share content through the feeds channel, how, how have they influenced the work and innovation that you bring to Varo in your position? So to me, what Twitter and Facebook, largely feed-based companies, have taught me is how powerful a feed can be. Whether it's at Varo or SoFi or anywhere else, I am a strong believer that ease of use and being able to put the right content to the user at the right time is the holy grail of any user experience. Mm -hmm. So hypothetically, If my kids want to go to McDonald's, there's a particular set of things that I like to order or my kids like to order. If I open the McDonald's app as I'm heading towards that direction, because I'm typically driving and heading over and probably opening the app during, you know, a red light or something. Mm -hmm. And if McDonald's app says, hey, would you like to order this again? It seems like you're heading over there. Like that is the best experience ever because I didn't necessarily have to search and add, you know create a new basket right. or whatnot and choose things. Now, 
typically what you would do is, yes, you would save the previous order and you would have things like order again. Mm -hmm. That is a certain degree of UX enhancement, but a feed takes it to the next level to say, you know what? You may need maybe something other things than what you ordered before. So let me put the items in a feed order on the most likely things you would add to your basket, including the quantity itself. I always have to buy three cheeseburgers because I have three young kids. Mm -hmm. So if a cheeseburger was showing up on the top of the feed, it better set the quantity to be three. Right. Today, if you go to a McDonald's menu app, it will just say one and you have to hit plus plus twice to make that three. And then you get to Uh add it to your basket. So long story short is, I think that the company or the system trying to predict the user's needs only is naturally boosted because you have a feed and order. The alt- By the way, just Tricia, just to be very fair, the alternative to this is what we call deterministic layout. Mm-hmm. So you have a menu and you always go, there's a burger section, then there's a dessert section, then there's a side section. And then you go into that and you look at all the things in alphabetical order or whatever order they have, right? Big Mac, then, you know, mm-hmm. chicken or whatever. That is a non-feed, obviously, but it still has the vertical scroll element. If you compare that to that, which ones would require you to scroll less? Obviously, the feed. So, so because you predicted it accurately. So to me, what I've learned at Twitter and Facebook, again, is that If you change the order of things, you might be able to actually boost a brand new McRib sandwich sales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you do it too much, you will lose the user. Right. Because now I'm not seeing the three, you know, uh, the the cheeseburgers that I'm looking for. So again, that is the beauty of the feed because you can really real-time dynamically sort of customize things for the user. And again, when you get that prediction right, and which is you know, determined by your objective function, and we can always make the objective functions way better with the area under the curve with you know AI and ML predictions, essentially, I think that it is the best UX ever. Mm-hmm. Now, I take those learnings, and some of my work has been in the field of finance, whether it's at VAR mm-hmm. or SoFi or, or other companies uh, that I may be advising up. Uh, Ultimately, the desire of a feed comes back to asking the company or the system, do you know what the user is looking for right now? And if the answer is no, you are better off with a deterministic layout. Mm-hmm. At least the user knows where to go find the burger. At least I know yeah, what yeah. the menu. You, you, I have to confess, like as you're talking, I'm, I'm trying to go back in my mind to my Chick-fil-A app. And I think it usually just serves up. Here's your last field. Did you want to order that again? And I sometimes find it a little frustrating that I have to go to the full menu because... Correct, correct, correct. And, 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 and the next thing that you can do next to a menu, uh, what you call a, a popular tactic is uh, typically people would do, if you choose a McChicken, then underneath on the bottom would say, people have these other things with the McChicken, right? That's a mark mm-hmm. of chain, right? Which is the same way that Netflix recommends content to you as well. But regardless... The feed itself, if the company truly knows what you want, I think implementing a feed makes sense. Because if you do that right, then you get to be able to provide more value or influence to the users. Right. And imagine that you had a feed 
and and it's a banking app, let's say. One mm-hmm. banking app says, hey, here's your account balance, whatnot. Here it is. And probably the user will see the balance remaining in their account and they'll go spend that money or spend a portion of it. And if that same person on the top of the feed sees a message that says, did you know that splurges contribute to negative balances? They didn't even read the article. It's just just the title of that article. Which side do you think has the propensity to spend less? Obviously the latter. Yeah, absolutely. And that to me is the ultimate evidence that a feed can be super powerful in helping people shape their behaviors and functions. It's like, how did I get my spend right? Well, my mom used to nag at me, you know, to say, you know, hey, don't do this, don't do that. But it's almost doing that in a more natural, gentle, personalized way. And, and it's for, it's to your point, it's using feed technology for good. That's right. Correct. Because no. it's that it's fiscal responsibility that I am not going to just go blow my paycheck or, you know, maybe I don't get paid until every other week, Yep. you know, and it, I don't need to correct, correct. splurge. A feed to me is ideal because you come to the banking app regardless of that day, right? Because you are looking at other transactions or whatnot. Right. And it is giving you that information in a prioritized order. And also advanced feeds, Tricia, these days understand the time cost that it requires from the user to make that impact. So in this case, I'm glancing at that quick message for less than a second to say, did you mm-hmm. know that splurges contribute to negative balances? Like I can read that in less than a second and I can scroll beyond that. And that just one or two second kind of glance at that starts to influence the user. It's going to stick in your brain. Yeah, which you're is going to remember magical, it as you go right? out yeah, for yeah, lunch. Yeah, and, which is yeah. magical. Mm-hmm. Now, some folks might say, really? That, that sounds too good to be true. But that's the whole premise of TV advertising, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. My entire career, a lot of it has been dedicated to enhancing ad technologies or advertising technologies, predicting whether the user will like that ad or not, purchase something. But there's obviously this huge, massive area called awareness campaigns where you see something, let's say it could be a cereal, I'm clearly not at Safeway or Publix or whichever location you live in the United States. I'm clearly not there. Yet, because I've seen Cinnamon Toast Crunch in my head, the next time your behavior showcases that. And the entire you know, ad industry is built on this, right? Because mm-hmm. they have brand awareness, unaided, aided awareness, sure. as well as it improves sales if you put this much TV ads. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and so it goes up. So Feed is no different than that, but it's done in a much more specific level at mm-hmm. a session-by-session, day-to-day basis, whether it's an ad or for organic content. All I'm trying to say is that the structure of the feed and the way that the feed can be used is super, super powerful. It is powerful. but And, and you started to go down the path of banking. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you, is that both traditional and neobanks can learn from, from big tech. Right. So as you know, big tech has gone in all all in on the feed format. And yet a lot of B2C industries, especially banking, mm-hmm. is still lagging. And why is I, I guess I'd like to hear from you as to why you think that is. And to your point, I mean, I love that idea of, you know, splurgers <laughs> aren't quite as uh, flush at the end of the month. So how how do banks get onto that path of using feed and, and how might it help drive engagement and, and just really help to satisfy the customer? 
I'll speak not in terms of bank, but I promise you I'll bring it back to the banking industry. Let's say that you're a company that manufactures screwdrivers, hammers, and scissors, and utility tools. As that company, you might say, I honestly don't care about how you use our tools. We're going to give you solid tools, a screwdriver that never slips a twist, a hammer that is solid, you know, and so on and so forth, right? So you would spend all your R&D and efforts to make sure that it's the grip is friendly, the, the tools are solid and they don't erode, they don't rust, and so on and so forth. And now we're in the situation where, magically speaking, let's say the toolbox can sort the utility tools in the order that you need them. Let's hypothetically magically say that you know the toolbox somehow knows that I'm, a, I'm, I'm fixing this machine and... Actually, that's what a mechanical assistant is, right? Like you would say, give me a mm-hmm. screwdriver, they'll give you a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you, you put your hand out and they'll put the right tool in your hand and you'll use it. I kind of see the banking industry as an industry that provides core financial utilities, the ability to store money, move money, spend money, you know, dispute, fraud, and all those things under control. Mm-hmm. And I kind of see the utilization of the financial utilities as a necessity for someone living their lives. Now, if I wanted to swipe my debit card to go buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's, I should be able to do that with a 99.9999% of consistency or whatnot, whether it's mm-hmm. credit, debit, and so on. So that to me is today's world of I bought, I bought a tool set and whenever I need to hammer something, I have a hammer ready in my toolbox. Mm-hmm. Fast forward into the future, Just because you have a great toolbox with the world's best tools does not mean that you will live a mechanic's life. And I'm hoping that this analogy holds as we go through this process. (laughs) But let's hypothetically say that by everybody upgrading their mechanical skills by 10, 15%, they are able to elongate uh, their home maintenance by another three to four years throughout their lifetime at their at, at their homes. So it's a good thing, mm-hmm. right? It generates mm-hmm. more you know value for yourself and whatnot. Sure. In a similar way, in the banking industry, let's say that if you use the banking tools right, you might have more for your retirement. Mm-hmm. You might more have for your college kids' college savings, and so on and so forth. But the period is very long for the payback to be. Uh, felt. Realized. Mm-hmm. And this is the issue with the banking industry. The tools today that are available serve a very specific need today, but the human being cannot see and is very difficult to understand the implications of your decisions today, mm-hmm. what that will happen 10, 20, 30 years later down your life. And this is the exact reason, like, first of all, to your question, why hasn't the banking industry adopted it? It's because the return on that investment is so long that the customers don't see it immediately. Mm-hmm. But also because that is the case, I am saying that the financial industry should adopt something much more like a fee because humans are very bad at tracking progress over 10 years. Back in the days, I think one of the best financial decisions I've ever made in my life was when I purchased the first home. Uh, Mm -hmm. here in the Bay Area. It was 2012, I think. And the person that recommended me to go buy that house or buy a house Mm -hmm. was actually the local Mercedes dealer. 
I went to go buy a Mercedes E-Class Coupe AMG, I think 63 or something back in the days because I saved up this money to go buy it. And the dealer told me that you you look young and smart. I'm just letting, I know you want to drive a hot car, but let me just give you an advice here. If you really had 100K left around, go put that as a down payment and buy yourself a house. And I was shocked that this gentleman wouldn't sell me a car. And I said- turning down the sale, but yeah, that was great advice. Like, I don't understand. What, why, why wouldn't you sell me this car? And he's like, look, the moment you buy this car and drive five miles is worth half the price. Mm-hmm. But if you go buy a house, it will only increase in price. And literally, my entire financial trajectory changed because of that one purchase. Mm-hmm. Because I started saving a rent. I had two other rooms in my house that I had no use for because it was just by myself. So I rented it out. Mm-hmm. The house paid for itself. And by, in, a, in about 18 months, I had generated enough equity that I could go get a Mercedes for free. I know myself, you know, at 30, when people are saying, you saving for retirement, it seemed like a, more than a lifetime away. Exactly. And I sit here today and I'm like, Whew, it's a good thing I listened to yeah. some of those people back there. Yeah. Um, but it is difficult in the moment because you don't know what life is going to throw you. And it's, yeah. it's just so hard to see. So how can feeds and banks particularly help, you know, using feeds help, help to connect that. Yeah. So let's hypothetically call this car salesman, John. My mission has always been, how can I put a John in everybody's pocket? The implications of what John told me that day changed the trajectory of my life because finance is so Mm -hmm. tightly integrated into your life. And you cannot leave that important of a decision to a random encounter. I didn't even like ask for John, right? I walked up to the dealership and you know that he was a free dealer that came and helped me out. Like, just think about it, right? Like you, I lucked out that day. There's so many things in life that finance touches upon that you cannot Mm -hmm. do things for luck. So then how does a potential feed solve this? Hypothetically, let's hypothetically say that all the financial advice that a person could ever get was available as a, I'm just making it up, Tricia, a six second video since we're talking about TikTok. Mm-hmm. There could be 20, 30, 40,000 different like individualized six second videos. As a matter of fact, generative AI could generate these videos automatically even today. We don't even have to mm-hmm. capture, right? You just generate these things. Okay. So out of the 20, 30,000 financial advice I could ever get, seeing that in a singular feed doesn't make sense because who knows, some some might be for your how to withdraw from your 401k kind of like financial advice versus, you know, it could right. be a you know, variety of things. So now we need to understand your financial situation right now. And that's where the banking data comes in. Mm -hmm. So the banking data says that, okay, we have somebody who's 30 years old who saved about $100,000. And what are they interested in? Oh, this person's leasing a car or whatever, right? And you start to patch together. And or you could probably look at that demographic, right? So you've got a 30-year-old exactly. male living in the Bay Area with $100,000. Exactly. It, it wouldn't intuitively come to be that, oh, he should buy a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> or that's what he's thinking to do, yeah, right? It's, that, it should not have even gone to the moment where I walked into the dealership. Mm-hmm. The fee should have been coaching me throughout to say, hey, you got your first 10000 in savings. Hey, you got your first 50000 in savings. Here are some of the things that you could do with this. Mm-hmm. And... Yes, purchasing a house was great, 
But had I bought Amazon stock, it'd be even better. <laughs> now, of course, we cannot predict the future. And you know, right. uh, investment advisory is a complete different field. I get it. All I'm trying to say here is that my knowledge about investing and growing money was zero. Literally zero. Mm -hmm. I just worked my butt off. That's all I did. Right. And to naturally bring that topic today, you have to kind of actively go for a wealth manager or some type of a person that can give you the advice. So the only way to scale John or some degree of a way to influence your trajectory of life is through a feed. Mm -hmm. Because feed is lightweight enough that people can see it and glance over and move throughout if they're not interested. Yet, it is powerful enough to educate you and put things in your mind. Be sure to tune back into the Feedcast, where I pick up on the second half of my conversation with Wook Chang, where we cover more about feed technology and banking, his thoughts on the future of payments and digitization, and how feed technology can go a long way in the world of healthcare. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Feedcast created and produced by Relay Network. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and give Relay Network a follow on LinkedIn. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Relay Network, nor should they be taken as legal advice. We recommend consulting your own legal team when considering your customer engagement strategy and practices.